Hey listeners, before we begin the episode today, just a quick shout out to those of you who are in active recovery. You know you want to date, but you're overwhelmed or frustrated with the process um, of dating and recovery. We have an opportunity just for you. Uh, check out our new website, One Layer Deeper, O-N-E, LayerDeeper.com, uh, where we have information about our weekend dating and recovery intensives. Uh, these are awesome. They're a lot of fun. They help you dive deep into the issues that uh, keep you from dating successfully, having the relationships that you want, um, and also helping you find the kind of people that uh, you won't avoid their phone calls after a first date. So uh, we have two events upcoming. We're going to have a weekend for women. That'll be October 11th through 14th. And a weekend for men. That'll be November 1st through 4th. Uh, so if I'm talking to you, active recovery, and uh, you're frustrated with the whole dating process and would like to experience a deep change there, One Layer Deeper is for you. So check us out at OneLayerDeeper.com. Hope you enjoy the episode. For sharing podcast, the podcast where we explore all things recovery, healing, and relationship. Remember to subscribe and download episodes in the iTunes Store, the Google Play Store, or on the Podbean app. You can find more Thanks for Sharing at www.thanksforsharingpodcast.com or on Facebook at facebook.com slash healing paths. That's path with an S. Hi everyone, welcome to Thanks for Sharing. I'm Jackie P. I'm John T. So today um, you've got John and I again, no special guest, although those are great episodes as well. We do have a slew of those coming up. We so, do, yeah. but you know, you got two episodes in a row with just the two of us chatting. <laughs> so um, today we wanted to talk about uh, there is no silver bullet. Yeah. And what we mean by that, right, is I, both John and I have talked about like getting clients in who and and sometimes therapists will refer to us thinking we've got something magic that they don't have mm-hmm. and that we've got some special, you know, toolkit that they they didn't get in grad school or at their training. And that's just really not how treatment works. Yeah. yeah. And it's not really how life works. Yeah, and I I think I'm I'm glad we're doing this episode because I think this whole silver bullet mentality is behind a lot of people getting demoralized Mm -hmm. in their healing. Right. Um, Because I I don't have many people who come in who are not desperate for a change and who haven't tried a million things. Yeah, which makes them a vulnerable person, Mm -hmm. right, Mm -hmm. who can be sold a bag of magic beans, so to speak. Well, and and there's, there's a good point to start on is this, knowing the difference between advertising and research. Mm -hmm. Um, So as, as we look at claims that are made about treatment and different modalities, um, the, the truth is there is no modality out there that does it all. Right. There is no modality out there that cures even this condition 100% right. of the time. In fact, I was reading an article, I think last week, that was saying still, you know, the research still says that one of the best, oh, and I think um, our guest a couple times ago, Dwayne, Dwayne talked about yeah. this, that still one of the best predictors of positive outcomes from treatment 
is that the therapist believes in what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, there have been other studies, right, that also will take it a step further and says that the therapist practices what they preach. Yeah. That that makes a big, you know, if, if the therapist has been divorced five times, you might not want to go to them for marriage therapy. Yeah, unless you're looking to wind down the marriage, then <laughs> right. they probably have a lot of good advice to share. Um, yeah, so when when you come across marketing, which I think is what, I think that's what people find primarily on the internet. I don't think people really research, the, the standard client doesn't really research in the PubMed databases and peer-reviewed journals. Right. Um, they'll do a Google, like, how do I treat depression? And they'll come across some website that has some foolproof program right. for treating depression or be free of addiction in 30 days. Right. or um, and, and what they really know how to do is their SEO. Mm-hmm. They may they may or may mm-hmm. not know how to actually do treatment, well, they, they but know, they're good at getting their ad to pop up. They know how to do the SEO, and they know how to sell books, too. Like, mm-hmm. um, there, there's books that will have, you know, 45 Days to Cure Addiction in the title, which is a really great marketing right. thing. Um, but, like, make no mistake, I don't think there are many addictions that are cured in 45 days. Right. Um, even if you go to a top-tier inpatient treatment center, you will not be cured in 45 days. Right. Um, and so I think we really have to look at, like, why is there a big discrepancy between the research and the marketing? And some of that is, like, who wants to go and see a therapist that's like, what I do works reasonably well for most of the people that I work with or uh-huh. a, a decent percentage of the people that I work with. Right. So when, when therapists and treatment centers are marketing themselves, one of the things that I, I think is kind of inherent in that process is you want to instill hope where there's not hope. Right. Ethical marketing says that we don't instill false hope where there's not mm-hmm. hope. Because that would go against our professional code of ethics that mm-hmm. says do no harm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So when you talk to people about, should I come see you? Should I work with you? I think there's some responsibility on the therapist part to evaluate, is this actually somebody that I can do good work with? Uh-huh. Can I deliver what I say I will deliver? Yeah. Or am I um, am I professional and, and reasonable enough to say, I'm not going to promise anything that I deliver, but right. here's what we can what we can work on. And, and we have had, and those are sometimes difficult conversations to have, uh, with clients coming in, but I know both you and I have had those conversations with people um, where we say, I don't know that you're ready for treatment right now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I can take your money and yeah. you can come here every week, but I don't know that that's going to work. Yeah. And I ha- I feel uneasy about taking your money when I know you're not looking for treatment. You're looking mm-hmm. to, I don't know what, right? Make your spouse feel better mm-hmm. or whatever that is. Some form of bypass, mm-hmm. yeah, which, which again, I think is really common when you're desperate and you're looking for solutions right, for things to change rapidly. Uh-huh. Um, now, as we get into the research side of things, I think that's a little bit of a different world because I think there are some modalities that are better suited for certain conditions. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, for example, like treatment that helps people with positive psychotic symptoms like hearing voices um, it probably doesn't translate very well into helping you get rid of obsessions and compulsions and, and addiction. Right. Um, because it's built around a different set of needs and it's built to do different things. Mm-hmm. So as you look at research, if you look at a treatment modality that says, you know, we have a, this, this treatment is 40% more efficacious than 
medication alone or talk therapy alone, you, you've got to keep in mind that that was done with a very specific population, right? Um, a very certain set of people. Um, so, like sometimes you you have to look at were those studies done with all men? Were those studies done with all women? Um, what age range did those mm-hmm. studies change or did those studies uh, mm-hmm. track? Because there's a lot of different variables. Was the study replicated? Right. Right. There's a lot of different variables at play there. Mm-hmm. Um, and know that when you go to therapy, it's very unlikely that you get the pure modality. Right. Because that's not how, in my experience, that's not how treatment unfolds for a lot of people. Well, and because um, you're working with a human who's giving you the modality. Mm-hmm. Right. So they're bringing their mm-hmm. own understanding or their mm-hmm. own style mm-hmm. to that modality. So it's not the pure modality, right? Otherwise, the therapist is going to be somewhat robotic. Yeah, yeah. And that's not to say that um, you may come across, like I I hear from a lot of clients, do you do cognitive behavioral therapy? Because that is the only therapy I want for healing addiction. Right. And I'll say, yes, I do cognitive behavioral therapy. I do also do some different modalities depending on what the need is. Right. So we're really going to have to assess that. Mm -hmm. So... You know, I think it can be really easy to get married to a modality or to get married to this is what I have to have to get better. Right. Because, again, you're looking for a solution. Yes. And um, and sometimes what worked for you previously, right? So maybe you worked with a therapist and CBT was really effective. Yeah. Um, but that doesn't mean that's the only thing that's going to be effective, mm-hmm. right? And and hopefully, if that treatment was effective, y- you as a person have changed. Yeah. And some methods that you tried previously may be trying to get and have a different impact on you, right? Yeah. That what didn't work, and now maybe mm-hmm. it does work. Mm-hmm. This is, I would say, this is very common in the clinical world is we will take the results of one study and we'll take license with that and we'll generalize. Well, if it worked for this, it'll work for that. Right. Um, and we can't make claims about that working for that if there has not been research done yeah. on that and it hasn't been replicated. Yeah. I know there was a client that came in that well that works with you and started bringing his son in to do just neurofeedback, right? Mm-hmm. We're not really doing mm-hmm. therapy with him, but just simply the neurofeedback. And he had asked you, can I get a money back guarantee, right? (laughs) Like if this doesn't work, I get my money back. And what was your response? I said, if you can guarantee that nothing else happens to his nervous system outside of neurofeedback, I will give you a money back guarantee. Yeah. And he realized the ridiculousness of his request, right? And how many things impact a person. Yeah. And while we're trying this, this form of treatment modality, the neurofeedback, there's also things that they have to mm-hmm. change, mm-hmm. right? Neurofeedback is not the magic bullet. Which I would say in that situation, like that was a really, like that was a really great thing for me to observe. This this boy has responded really well to that treatment, uh-huh. but there was also other data that came out of that. Yes, like, well, and the family system yeah. had to change to support the neurofeedback. Well, be, yeah, and because of how we, like with, with neurofeedback, we have our clients do symptom tracking. And mm-hmm. that gave us a whole lot of data about the variables that affected this kid. Yeah. So they were looking at things like bedtime, vacations, diet, things that they were aware of before. But I don't know that there was really like this concrete... Reporting we know system. That, yeah, we know yeah. this goes in and this is what comes out. And we could see that really clearly. Mm-hmm. And so there were there were other changes that needed to happen and neurofeedback may have been kind of what tipped the scale, but it wasn't what made all the difference. Right. Um, And I think that's often how 
treatment actually works for people is there may be some things like when I do EMDR with clients, um, I've got somebody that I'm, I'm working with currently that we've done two sessions on the shame that he feels after a relapse and he's already experiencing big changes there. Mm. Um, but that's not, that's not the whole pie for him. Right. Like that's a really important piece and it's opening up some other things for him. Um, but, you know, we've spent the better part of a year getting him prepared to be able yeah. to do that kind of work. And that's one of the things when I'll do EMDR with clients, sometimes I tell them, and, and this is, I mean, I, I this isn't something that I made up, right? This is something I got in the training and it's very much in the EMDR literature that actually using the um, bilateral stimulation, right? Whether that's a light bar, um, whether that's just fingers, whatever that looks like, that's not the only way we do EMDR. Right. Right. That's that's one of the phases Mm -hmm. of EMDR. Mm -hmm. But there's definitely a CBT part of EMDR. Right. There's a mindfulness Mm -hmm. part. Like there's a whole bunch of parts of EMDR. Mm -hmm. And I have to tell my clients sometimes just because I'm not pulling out the light bar and having you do it that way doesn't Doesn't mean mean we're we're not doing doing EMDR. Yeah. Or supporting the EMDR. And I I think that that really reveals sort of this confirmation bias Mm -hmm. or this like, if you want to call it the I've got to get better now bias. Um, I've been listening to The Gift of Fear and I think I mentioned it in a couple previous episodes. Uh You're the one that introduced me. A lot of our staff right now is reading it. Yeah, it's good, good stuff. And one of the things that he talks about in predicting violence is that if we don't believe that violence can be an outcome, we're not going to look for that data. Mm And I think it's the same thing in in treatment or in healing. If we believe that there's going to be this watershed moment mm-hmm. that now I'm better, we're not going to look for the right data along the way. Right. Um, you know, in in trauma treatment, one of the um, I, I think one of the cardinal rules is we're not looking for dissipation of symptoms. We're looking for temporary relief. And I think that temporary relief stacked on top of itself is what starts to bring this cumulative effect of, okay, I'm relaxing. Right. Or I'm, I'm getting better. I can feel something changing. But it's not because we've eradicated the bad memory. It's uh-huh. because you've gotten confidence that when I need to shift this, yeah. I can just a little bit. Right. Um, well, and, and it's the whole right story of the frog in a boiling pot, mm-hmm. right? Or, I mean, oftentimes that's how change happens. It's mm-hmm. gradual. It's small things adding up to mm-hmm. big changes. Mm-hmm. And if we're looking for, like you said, the watershed moment or this, you know, the clouds parting mm-hmm. and the sun coming in and this aha moment, mm-hmm. we're going to miss yeah. what's actually happening. And we're going to be disappointed yeah. because rarely do those things happen. Well, and, and I think this is where the way that our brains are constructed really works against us. Mm-hmm. Like we are quick feedback organisms. That's what we're looking for. That's what we want. Um, and really quick feedback doesn't give us the whole picture. Mm-hmm. Um, and if, if you're going to make big changes, I think you have to kind of, you have to work on training yourself out of that quick feedback desire. Um, I'm reading a book right now on structuring a business financially mm-hmm. and what makes that work. And, and one of the things I was hoping is, um, and I don't know why I still hope this, cause I've read enough of these books that when they're recommended by people that I I trust and I admire and I think they have it together. I'm like, there's not going to be a quick fix. But I was reading and I was like, there's got to be some like brand new concept (laughs) here. I'm like, it's really not. Like it's getting back to the basics. Mm -hmm. And one of the basics that it brought me back to was 
manually doing my accounting mm. instead of having like mint.com or some kind of software log all of my expenses. Like there's something about me going in and putting in the numbers and watching the, what that does to the bottom line that that's what helps me to be financially responsible. That's uh-huh. what helps me to pay attention to the right things Right, is being involved in that. And, and keeping that on your brain's radar mm-hmm. on a consistent basis. And I was driving home last night thinking like, I've gone through phases before where I've really kept up on that. And I said, I was thinking, I feel like where I'm at right now in my life, um, I don't think I'm going to forget to do this as readily as I have before. I think this will be a regular part of my weekly uh-huh. routine now is checking in on that because where I'm at now and what I've experienced between the last time I really focused on this and now, um, there was enough pain to really focus me on what's the solution I need. Uh-huh. And it's not a the solution. It's what's what's the what's the combination of solutions that yeah. I need here. And that's I'll use the example sometimes with clients. Um, a couple years ago, I had um, I got strep throat. And, you know, they gave me a Z-Pack and I just felt horrible, right? I, horrible, like you do with strep throat. They gave me a Z-Pack, like in two days, I was a good, like mm-hmm. I was like on top of the world. I'm like, mm-hmm. love this, right? Sometimes when I get sick, I'm like, oh, please be strep throat. Right? So I can get a Z-Pack. You know, <laughs> you know there's a quick turnaround on that instead of suffering through. Um, and as I'm sometimes prone to do, right, because I started feeling good, I stopped doing what made me feel good, right? Yeah. And they'll say... Take the whole 10 days of the antibiotic, right? Don't stop. Just even if you feel better, keep taking it, right? So I didn't. um, And I thought, oh, good, my body's better, right? And then I stopped taking the antibiotic. And a week later, right, I go hanging my head in shame, right? Like (laughs) saying to the doctor, so I didn't finish the Z-Pack and guess what, right? And then they have to give me a stronger, you know, antibiotic to, to get it off this time. Um, but I think that's true oftentimes. Like things start to feel better, and so we stop doing that, mm-hmm. right? Or things get more comfortable financially, and so we stop logging things mm-hmm. and watching mm-hmm. that as closely, right? And we don't want to be obsessive about mm-hmm. it. Um, you know, we don't need to be checking our account three times a day. Because I've definitely seen the other side of that with my clients who are obsessive about I've got to get better, and mm-hmm. they're reading anything and everything. Mm-hmm. And they're they're taking a way bigger bite right. than they can digest, or they have a hard time spending money, yeah. right, for legitimate purposes, yeah. or anything pleasant, right, which yeah. is also a legitimate purpose. But they'll they're really locked down on their finances. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, it's one of those like if it's working logically, it makes sense to keep doing it. Mm-hmm. But often we do the opposite. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, I, I do envision a time as we learn more about the brain. And I think there are some like emerging modalities that I think hold a little more promise for we can get relief faster and we can address these issues more directly. Um, as you were talking about the antibiotics, the last time my wife had strep throat, this is the first time I'd heard that you could get your 10 day antibiotics, antibiotic supply injected. Oh yeah. And so she got a shot and she's like, I don't have to remember to take a pill. And, um, that's great. I think yeah. when we make those strides and it actually works. Right. Um, but to make claims that are not supported. Right. So maybe there's a silver bullet when it comes to antibiotics. Yes. <laughs> because, you know, we've, we've had, I think we've put a lot more money. I think we put a lot more time and a lot more study into understanding how the body mm-hmm. works versus how the emotions and the brain and the mind work. Um, so there's, there's still a long way to go. And that's not to say that there aren't some things that can be a little more direct than others. Uh And like we talked about with Dwayne, that's really important to be, to be 
educated about right. and to know what you're getting. Um, but keep in mind that that one targeted intervention, like with, with strep throat, antibiotics are part of the equation. If you're not resting when you're on right. antibiotics, if you're not hydrating, if you're not sleeping, um, those antibiotics are not going to be yeah. as effective. Or, or if you don't generally take good care of yourself, your yeah. body doesn't respond as quickly as it would otherwise. Yeah. Um, there's another part of the silver bullet phenomenon um, that I think a lot of my clients really have to address in, in therapy and look at is this happiness bias that mm-hmm. we have. Yeah, um, just do an Amazon search for books on happiness. Yeah. Well, and, and even I think in more legitimate like psychological circles, there's a lot of like feeling good and feeling better uh-huh. and, and all of this. And I, I tell my clients, um, I think Yak Pengsep is the emotion researcher. I think he's, he's okay. one of the more thorough research people. Um, and he talks about, I think, about seven basic emotions. And that's P. Melody does too. Yeah, yeah. And uh, these are emotions that we're born with right. at birth. They're inherent. And as I look at that list, I say there's one and a half positive emotions on there. Well, and I, I will tell my clients, right, if, if you're going to be a whole balanced person and happiness is one of the categories, right? Because yeah. there's lots of different words under happiness, maybe. If you're going to be... If you're going to be a whole person, that means about a seventh of the time mm-hmm. you're going to feel happy. Yeah, yeah, and and so I think that's important to keep in mind. And I don't I don't think that means that we're wired for misery or anything like right. that. But that whole emotional bouquet, I think, is really really important yeah. to a well-rounded, actually happy life. Right. And I think you know I, I have a lot of I see a lot of people and many of my clients. We have to work through this. Is this happiness trap that they get in? I'm supposed to feel better today. I used to have a client who kept a running tally on whether he felt good after a session or not. Oh, and um, how'd you do? <laughs> well, the last session I had with him when he fired me, he said, he said, I thought I was being generous and letting you bat 50%. And he said, you've dipped below that. So I'm Ooh. not coming back. And I get like therapy is not supposed to be a place where you come and get beat up by your therapist. Right. But a lot of but the it things, is hard. And a lot of the things that we were looking at with, with him, they were denial around relationships. Mm. He would get into relationships where he was abused and used, and that made him miserable. And so we had to talk about that. And he's like, I don't like. But instead, he fired the person who talked about it. Right. He's like, I don't. I don't like seeing. I don't like seeing these women that I've married this way. And I was like, Okay, well then you're going to marry another one. Right. <laughs> like, um, and and I think that bias around I'm supposed to feel good most of the time. Um, I think it's a pretty immature ego yeah. development. I've told this story um, before in groups and stuff, but there was, uh, this was several years ago. I was um, at, out getting some pizza for our one of our staff meetings. And I had called ahead, but when I got there, the order wasn't quite ready. And so I was just kind of standing in the pickup place. Um, and, you know, I had kind of been looking at my phone and... I mean, it didn't take very long, but I looked at my phone and I was just kind of waiting. And there was just one older gentleman in the pickup area there. And, you know, I guess he was picking up an order. I don't know. I hadn't really noticed him or paid much attention. And all of a sudden I hear somebody say, um, you know, if you would smile, you would feel happier. And at first I was kind of looking at my phone and then I was like, wait, is he talking to me? Because there was like nobody else around. And so I kind of looked up at him and he was talking to me and he repeated that, you know, if you would smile, you would feel happier. And first of all, that's sexist, right? 
Right. <laughs> Even though there is some really limited research on that, and it's true in a limited scope, that's sexist. Yeah. Right. Because, and, and I just kind of looked at him and said, I'm not, I'm not unhappy. Right. Right. I like, and he was just like, well, you should smile more. And, and it just, I mean, it really just set me off. Right. <laughs> no. <laughs> All of a sudden I was now angry, which I wasn't before he said something. Um, you know, and the guy kind of behind the counter, like kind of just looked at me like, what the world? And just like handed me my order and said, oh, here's your order. It's magically ready right on time. And I just said, thank you. And I walked out. Um, you know, but I thought, I mean, I, I was, I think I was reading like a news article on my phone or something. And I'm like, I, I was contemplative. Like, yeah. I don't necessarily smile when I'm contemplative, but contemplative isn't happy. Mm-hmm. It's also not sad or mad yeah. or, you know, any of those other emotions. Um, and and I think, yeah, it's that over-focus on mm-hmm. happiness is where it's at and happiness yeah. is the end goal for talk, where we're going. Talk about, like, marketing versus research here. Like, there are billions of dollars in our economy wrapped up in people believing that they're not happy enough. Right. And they need to be happier. Yes, um, and so really watch for some of that messaging and really watch for some of that bias within yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, there's nothing wrong with being sad. There's nothing right. wrong with being angry. There's nothing wrong with being contemplative. Um, and I, I think what a lot of desperate people are looking for is this, I will be whole and happy and that's the end result. Yeah. Um, and, and, and that will be a permanent state. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Like I'm, I'm, retre- I'm approaching this Zen or this bliss, right? That then I live in. I can get there and stay there and nothing will ever affect mm-hmm. me. I think it was pretty early on in my work here with you, um, Jackie, that, uh, we were talking about, maybe I was listening to one of the Carnes CDs from the recovery start kit. And he talks about the concept of integrity as it was originally defined. Okay. That it's not strength, it's wholeness, it's completeness, yeah. it's consistency. And I think it also, the dictionary goes into being able to kind of hold together. So they would talk mm-hmm. about like the integrity of a plane, mm-hmm. right? So mm-hmm. the ability to stay together and hold it together mm-hmm. during a storm. Mm-hmm. And and part of that in, you know, structures like a plane or a skyscraper. Last spring, I took my family to Chicago and we went to the top of the Sears Tower. Mm. And as we're rocketing up to the top, you get to the top. I forget how many floors it is, but you get up there in like three seconds. Uh-huh. It's crazy. Um, but they have whole floors that are just springs and flex to help this stand up in the wind. So we have this we have this view of you know structures and vehicles that have a lot of integrity uh-huh. as they're just firm and they never change. Um, it's actually it's this combination between strength in the right places and flexibility in the right places. Uh-huh. Um, and I think when we look at like what makes us psychologically well, it's the same thing. Um, it's not, we can't all be made, we can't be made of the same material through and through right. and function. Right. We have to have some capacity for sadness. We have to have some capacity for heartache. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the people I work with, we have to work on their capacity for happiness because mm-hmm. they don't have that. Well, and, and going back to the plane example, right? If the plane, if, if we didn't have confidence in the plane's integrity, right, then the plane's going to only look for best conditions to, mm-hmm. to fly. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and that's going to mean a lot of flights get canceled mm-hmm. and a lot of people are going to get backlogged and trying mm-hmm. to get from here to there. Um, and, and so it's that ability to 
go into our sadness and mm-hmm. move into our pain and move into even embarrassment or some of the shame mm-hmm. that we experience mm-hmm. and, and be able to come out of that yeah. a better person and with better understanding and with strength. Yeah. Um, a couple of weeks ago, I was camping at a reservoir here in Utah and they had a bunch of sailboats pulled up on a beach and I love sailing. Like it's, it's one of my passions that I, um, I don't do, but <laughs> I really, I really like it. And these particular boats, they're catamarans. Mm-hmm. And so the way the catamaran is built is it has two pontoons and this like metal structure in between the two and a trampoline in the middle that you sit okay. on and then a big sail. And I was walking with my boys through the boats and I was showing them like, these are the different parts of this and this is what I used to sail and things like that. And, um, one of my kids noticed the, um, the plugs in the holes. Um, and they said, why is there a hole in the bottom of this boat? And I said, well, you have to be able to drain the water out. And they said, water gets in the boat. Like, isn't that just supposed to be air? Isn't that why it floats? And I said, yeah, it's supposed to just be air, but water gets in like as you pull this in and out of the water as Uh you use it like there will be little cracks and water can get in there and um so you have to keep an eye on that and they're like well did you sail on boats that had holes in them and i was like yeah everybody does in fact um i i don't know that there's many ships out there on on water that don't take on water right um because they're not simply sitting on top of it right right they're going through it they're doing things and um you know changing and shifting and um, so this plug that's built into the boat is to compensate for this less than ideal circumstance. But the bol- the the boat, even with those cracks in the hull, it's good enough to do what you want it to do on the water. Uh-huh. Um, and even with airplanes, like sometimes it surprises me to see how thin the metal is uh-huh. and how thin the windows are, but it's thick enough. Right. Um, you know, it can do its job. And when it comes to our mental and emotional health, Again, we can have this, like, I've got to be stacked to the hilt with skills so that I can handle whatever. Um, And I think we can overdo it in healing, too, Mm -hmm. looking for that solution to where we'll never suffer again. Right. Or or think that we're just going to get to this place where now I just sit on top of the water Mm -hmm. and I don't actually get in the water. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And and that's not that's not the purpose. Right. I mean, Mm -hmm. I, I, I think I was 20 the first time I started therapy. I wouldn't say I'm cured. Right. Um, I think I like my life. Yeah. Um, I have worked on a lot of issues and have different perspectives than I did at 19. Yeah. Uh, but there's still things that pop up that I have to work through and that at times, right, sometimes I know how to work through it. And other times I still need to go into therapy yeah. and get support in working through yeah. that. You know, before I ever really sat on either side of the therapy room, I remember um, being in my undergrad and hearing the professor lecture on the importance of helping our clients with acceptance. And I was like, acceptance will get you nothing. Mm -hmm. Like acceptance isn't solving a problem. And so, of course, I went in with my, you know, my vast amounts of knowledge based on this five minutes of thought I'd given (laughs) to this concept. And um, I've really come to appreciate helping people accept where they are now. Uh Um because it relieves a lot of psychological pain, which yeah. is what this is really about, right. is relieving pain. And um, sometimes the pain relief is more temporary than not. Um, but if you're like recovering from a serious operation, there's no way that you can take on 
enough pain reliever to never have to take on it on again. Like mm-hmm. pain relief comes and it goes right? because pain is part of this process. Right. And that's not your body not doing it right. Mm-hmm. Right. That's just the mm-hmm. nature of pain. Sometimes it takes a while to work through it. Mm-hmm. And sometimes there's always vestiges mm-hmm. of the pain. I was talking um, in a session with a client this week and, uh, you know, he was kind of talking about just how, good things are in his life, you know, and, and he said, I'm not foolish enough to think I got this yet, you know, but we, we are going to scale back how often, you know, we're not going to be meeting every week. And, um, and he just said, you know, I mean, this has been a little over a year. And he said, and you know, when I was in the depth of it, it just felt like it was never going to end. And this was taking forever. And he's like, and now where I am, I'm like, wow, look at how things have changed mm-hmm. in just a year. Mm-hmm. And my perspective is that a year really isn't that long. Yeah. But when I'm in it, it feels like it's moving mm-hmm. so slowly. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's like, but I can't believe where I've gotten to. Yeah. And that's, I think that's a really important point um, to make here. My business coach always talks about, um, he says, success is going to come. Your biggest work is figuring out what to do when you're in the gap. Mm-hmm. Um, between those peaks, and he always talks about the importance of looking backward from where you started, yeah, and being able to feel that gratitude for the progress. And I think that that's when it when it comes to healing, when it comes to recovery, that's really really key. Yeah, um, is it's about recognizing that we started somewhere that we're not right yeah. now. One of my business mentors said it different. She said, "When you find that you're walking in hell, it's best to keep walking." <laughs> right. <laughs> Don't set up camp. Yeah. And and that's I think that's one of the reasons why I wanted to record this episode is because I see a lot of people who set up camp in hell saying, mm-hmm. I'm waiting for a helicopter lift. Yeah. And it's like, you could walk five miles that way right. and you could be out of it. Right. Yeah. Um, so thanks for listening today. Yeah. At the end of this episode, remember that your story matters. Remember there is something meaningful in every chapter. Don't wait to share your story till it's finished. You can share your story with us on our Facebook page, Healing Paths Inc., or on our website, www.thanksforsharingpodcast.com. This podcast is solely for the purpose of information and entertainment and does not constitute therapy, nor should it replace competent professional help. At the end of another episode, we want to remind you that nobody has time for perfection. We are pursuing progress. And remember the prayer of the perfectionist. Help me remember I can't do it all. Help me to take things one step at a time, and that the only step I need to focus on is the next right step for me. Help me to remember that life is a journey. Help me to be able to separate all that I am learning from all that I have to do. Help me to remember that I am not alone, that I can ask for help. Help me to strive for frequent awakenings, not mastery. I am enough. Amen.